0: You know, so there's lots of different ways you can do a take on it and then make it your own and then become known for something and then um, hopefully people will come back for that.
1: There are some names in Australian food that are synonymous with joy, with sweet treats, with creativity, with escapades in pastry, dessert, chocolate, One of those names is our guest today, Darren Purchase. He is a a judge on the upcoming new series of The Great Australian Bake Off. He's always got so much on the go. Darren, welcome to the show. Hi, Danny. Thank you. Oh, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Um, I've watched your career for so long. i mean, really grateful to interact with you in all kinds of different ways. The one that I just recalled today as I was preparing for this chat was a toasty competition.
0: <laughs> I know. I, th- I think uh, long after I'm, I'm gone on this world, I think I'll, I might be known, if anything, for my toasties, um, <laughs> which I don't know if it's a good or a bad thing, but I love toasties, as
1: you know. I think toasties are a great thing to like have threaded through your life as one of the main themes. Um, yeah, I mean, we introduced you as a pastry chef, but tell us about your love of a great sandwich.
0: Oh, you know, it, it goes way back, probably longer than um, I even thought that I wanted to be a chef. I was always, I, I don't know, I guess pimping up sandwiches at home or putting cheese on top of bread and bubbling it under the grill. So um, it's something I've always grew up. With and um, you know it's a Sunday night treat, but uh, it's creeped crept into my professional life for over the years, and yeah, I I even wrote a book on the subject, so um, it's a subject dear to my heart.
1: What do you reckon makes a great toasty?
0: Uh, I reckon um, bread's quite bread's really important. Um, it needs to be fairly dry, so it doesn't kind of absorb all of the inside. So you want it sort of crispy on the outside, and obviously great filling, but probably. Um, keep it simple you know cheese, cheese and onion <laughs> worcester sauce um something like that and um, make sure your cheese is a good melting cheese and um everything room temperature when you're when you're kind of preparing it so the internal gets melted um so just a couple of little tips like that you could use butter on the outside or mayonnaise some people do but um yeah just great bread great
1: cheese and then
0: um and then add your own spin
1: yeah, I love it. Well, I mean, the onions and the Worcestershire sauce—that is so English. Uh, I, uh, I am all about kimchi in my toasties these days. What do you reckon of that? I absolutely love
0: it. Yeah, it's that—that it, that is something I would never have tried um, when I first started making toasties. I wouldn't have known what it was, and um, but yeah, it it goes so well. It's just an absolute no-brainer. So. Yeah, whatever I've got in there. I mean, I've used um, miso as well. Um, That goes really well. So, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. So, you know, anything savoury, umami. You know, lick a marmite or Vegemite in there as well. You never know. What a toast is all about. You can put your own spin on it. Everyone's got their favourite fillings and favourite flavourings. And and you can do it at home. And you don't need to be, you know, a specky chef to to come up with something absolutely sensational.
1: So... Well, speaking of being a specy chef, when I think about you and the dessert world, I definitely do think of spectacular creations. Can you tell us a bit about your journey, Darren? I, I know there's a few there's been a few steps along the pathway, but tell us what got you uh, so interested in the world of pastry. Yeah,
0: I am. Um, I, I, well, going right back, um, I spent some time in kitchens, but my first serious serious kitchen job was at the Savoy Hotel in London, and um, I went for an open day uh, because they were recruiting and there was a chef there who was demonstrating um, how to make a peach melba, which, have, which uh, for some of your listeners might not know, was actually invented at the Savoy Hotel in London by a chef called Escoffier uh, a very long time ago. And he invented it for an Australian, I didn't realise at the time, um, Dame Nellie Melba, who was an opera singer. And it was something with peaches and raspberry coulis and vanilla ice cream and add this theatrical sugar cage on top. And I think he invented it for her to help soothe her vocal cords before she hopped off down to um, Covent Garden to perform. And it was it was a classic. And I just got, kind of fell in love with the story and I fell in love with the history and I just really wanted to know how to make it. So. Um, I got myself a job there and found myself in the pastry kitchen. And then that was really the start of my journey. And, um, you know, I didn't realize that in the future that I you know, would end up living and working in Australia. So there's kind of a cool little connection there. That first dish that really inspired me was the Peach Melba.
1: Wow. I love that. And it's also so great that you have this instant idea that dessert is therapeutic and you need it to get on with your life. Um, so I really love that as well. What, what is it that brought you to Australia? I, 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 was, I met
0: my wife, Kath Claringbold, who's um, who's chef. Um, you know, I know you know Kath and some of your listeners may know her as well. I actually met her in Brisbane um, a long time. I'm going to say 2004. It's a funny story, um, one I've told before, so if you've heard it, um, sorry, but there was a a chef in London called um, Shane Osborne who who had, I think he had Michelin Stars and he had a restaurant in London, and he was due to fly out to the Brisbane Masterclass uh, in 2004, but his passport hadn't been renewed. So I think two days out of the event, they were scrambling to find a replacement for him and they called my head chef at the uh, hotel I was working at, a hotel called the Bentley Hotel, and they asked him if he would come out and present, and he said, "Yeah, only, only if I can take Darren, because he he knew I'd get all the Maison Plus done for him, and he can schmooze." <laughs> um, so literally two days later, I found myself in Australia, and I had no this wasn't in my, you know, whole. I I, I had no idea I could get here. It was out of the realms of possibility for me. And I just landed here and I thought, wow, this is awesome. Everyone's so into food. The ingredients are amazing. Um, And I bumped into Kath on the first night, who was opening a restaurant in Brisbane. And we kind of hit it off. And we were at a cocktail party and we said, should we get out of here? And uh, we we spent the week together and... I went back to London and said, "That's it. I found a girl. I'm moving to Australia." And it took me about it took me about um, a year later, and I, I arrived in Melbourne. And it was, the weather wasn't the same.
1: Yeah, she didn't mention that. <laughs> <laughs> What's this? I had
0: this idea that it's just forty degrees everywhere. Um, but she um, she handed me the good food guide. She said, "Well, you better get a job." and um, I opened it up and I thought, right, I'll start at the top. So number one was View de and I contacted Shannon and I literally
1: got a job the next day. That is amazing. So, what was the experience? So, where was Vue when you landed there, and what was it all like? What was it like at the time?
0: It was, yeah, it was a great kitchen, really strong brigade. Um, it was in Little Collins Street, and um, I, I went in as sort of pastry chef, but we, that Shannon had ideas to open. Bistro view and uh, the cafe, so I helped in setting that up. But awesome brigade, really great chefs there when I was there. Um, There's a chef called Ryan Clift um, who you know is um, a, a, just a mega star in Singapore now, and and owns so many restaurants. Um, I think Josh Josh Lewis was there, who's um, got fleet. Uh, up in Byron, and Matthew Arbe was there, and he's now chef de cuisine of Gordon Ramsay, so he's holding three Michelin stars. Um, uh, Mark Briggs from uh, Sardine was there, so we had a really, really awesome brigade, um, and yeah, it was just so much fun, and and I was exposed to new ingredients and new ideas that I hadn't really sort of seen in London.
1: And what kind of desserts was, were happening at View at the time? Um, we were trying to, uh, you know, we were
0: deconstructing stuff and, and you know, coming up with flavors, but in a, in a new way. I was trying to bring some of my desserts from uh, London and in, incorporating that, and it was just a really fun time, really creative time. Shannon was, you know, a, a force in the kitchen and had all these ideas. Ryan did a lot of um, menu development, and we would sort of kind of work on when the restaurant was shut. We would go in and work on dishes together. And, yeah, it was, it was really great and I, I look back on those times really fondly.
1: Yeah, it sounds like a great time to, to land there and you yeah, certainly landed right in the thick of it to come to a new city.
0: Yeah, I did. I, I had no idea. I, honestly, I was pretty ignorant when I arrived in Australia. I was working in London, I'd worked in France and I'd done stuff over there and you kind, I kind of had this attitude that I kind of knew a lot and I, was, I wouldn't say I was big-headed, but I was ignorant to other cuisines quite a lot when I when I came to Australia because, of course, such a diverse population here and not weighed down by tradition. So everyone's been really creative and the audience is receptive to new things. So um, it was a real eye-opener when I landed in Australia. And it wasn't just some of the ingredients I hadn't seen before, but it was just I was amazed by the quality of the cuisine and the restaurants around. I just thought, wow, how how do we never hear about this in back in Europe? Um, so yeah, it, honestly, it was it was
1: it was crazy. Uh, so interesting because I mean, so many Australian chefs would have been floating around kitchens in Europe at the time, but. Um, yeah, but it's it's funny how yeah. I mean, were you one of those guys you, you you were expecting to see kangaroos hopping down the street and all that sort of stuff?
0: <laughs> yeah, I was a little bit, and I was <laughs> disappointed. Um, I couldn't believe the weather in Melbourne. I felt, wow, what have I come from? Because um, I was I'm from the south of England, so the weather's not that bad. Um, but I I was it was just a real real iron, especially um, Asian cuisine. I hadn't really been exposed to that a lot in London. Um, it was some, some of the ingredients were quite rudimentary, and it was always done in like an English style. Um, and I came over here, and I was like, "Wow, um, this is this is amazing!" And it, the more I learned while I was over here, the more I realised I don't really know anything. You know, it was like the whole world was opening up to me.
1: And it was, you know, Kath at the time was um, all about Middle Eastern as well. So was, was that was that a sort of eye eye, eye opener for you too?
0: Absolutely, yeah, I had no idea. And, um, you know, I hadn't really eaten a lot of that stuff and and I went to her restaurants and it was absolutely beautiful. Kath's an amazing cook and she, because, um, I, I guess because she's female, it was kind of slightly different to um, a male style of, you know, sort of heavy meat-driven, um, dryish li- Middle Eastern food. It was sort of a little bit more saucy and more of an emphasis on vegetables and salads and it was it was absolutely beautiful and i've learned absolute heaps from Kath. she's um she's been one of my biggest food inspirations
1: yeah she's an amazing cook and i was, yeah I just remember so many dishes from her restaurants fondly and i think she's the first person that gave me a recipe for harissa which i still use
0: Oh, good. i'll, I'll tell her that she'll be very pleased you know she's um, uh, i'm I, I guess i'm the, the extrovert of our relationship and she's more of the introvert and um she, but it certainly doesn't mean she hasn't got any less uh, awesome content that, that that i have i just i'm more comfortable putting myself out there so i'll tell her that and um she she gets back in the kitchen every now and again and she creates something absolutely amazing so i'm very proud of her
1: well, Kath, of course, came and worked with you at your um, pastry business, Birch and Purchase, which only you only recently closed your store in South Yarra in Melbourne. Can you talk about the journey of your own business? Yeah. Oh,
0: you know, it just—it's it's still very new that we've um, we closed the business, and we just feel really proud um, of our achievements and really sort of happy that. Um, we created something that so many people really enjoyed and I, I kind of feel that it's come to a timely end. You know, there's lots of reasons why a business can um, could, can come to an end. You know, there's economic decisions, there's, you know, external decisions, there's things like COVID, but I think essentially we'd come to an end of what we could do there. Um, my creativity was, um, it wasn't stifled, but I'd had so many um, products on the menu that were hits that I kind of felt that like I couldn't change them. So I, I, was, I was feeling a little bit restricted in what I could actually make because a lot of the things I wanted to make did, were not applicable in that restaurant or that cafe. And um, I think because we were a single business, we hadn't ever wanted to roll out. It was very much hands-on for Kath and I. So it was hard for us to do other things So I think the time was right for us to, um, uh, to wrap it up. And just, we look back on 12 amazing years and we, we had a final uh, week of so many customers coming in and, um, saying thank you. And there were customers coming in, bringing their kids who we'd been making their, we made their wedding cake and then now we've been making their kids birthday cakes for nine, ten years. Um, so it was really special. And, um, we feel very grateful that we had that opportunity to do that, but we're really excited now for the future.
1: Yeah, I love it. Well, for people who perhaps don't know your work, like, could you describe your style and approach to desserts? Yeah, I guess
0: because most of my background was restaurants, working in restaurants. Whether even if it was in a hotel, I'd work I'd usually in the restaurant of the hotel. So, restaurant desserts were kind of my thing, and when I'd open. Birch and Purchase. It was after working for Shannon of Udemond. Um, I'd worked at uh, Phoenix with Gary and Ray. I'd done Guillaume at, at the Opera House. <laughs> so after those three, I was like, I've got to do my own thing. I need, I need my own kitchen. <laughs> um, so I, I applied my restaurant plated dessert expertise to basically a cake shop. I never really worked in a um, a, like cake shop before or a bakery type thing although I worked in baking departments so I kind of just try to apply those restaurant flavors that I loved and the plate desserts that um, I knew were popular and tried to apply them into kind of a take-home setting and I think we created something fairly new at the time um, and we kind of didn't really go down the traditional route of um, of, of a cake shop and it, yeah it seemed it seemed to work there was a lot of hits but there was a lot of misses as well but that all comes with learning and and growing as a person and as a chef um but yeah that, that's it really I think my I'm, I've am i kind of I wouldn't say matured but <laughs> I've changed my view on food a little bit I'm kind of a bit more uh, I I want my recipes more accessible to people so I'm trying to create things that people can recreate at home that it doesn't take them sort of three days. Um, So I'm kind of going full circle, you know. So I was known for the fancy stuff, but I really do love the classics and I love simple baking and, yeah, I just love to bake.
1: That's so interesting you say that, Darren, because I do recall when I was doing my first Thermomix cookbook, I asked you for a recipe and you very generously obliged. But when I got it, it was six pages long. Uh, It was for the extraordinary Lego cake. So in the shape of a Lego block. um, And there were, you know, dozens of steps. So it was a little bit overwhelming for me, but the part where I really uh, lost it <laughs> was where it was um, uh, to take your spray gun and um, start spraying the cake. And I was thinking, I, I think I asked you, like, w- w- where do it, w- like, what? And you're like, yeah, you just can get them at Bunnings or whatever. Or um, And I was thinking, I don't have a place where i can spray cakes in my domestic kitchen and i think we're going to need to strip this recipe back a bit which we did and the flavors are extraordinary it was i can't remember at all it was like white chocolate and green tea i think think it might have been lime in there Yeah, some lime it was beautiful we made a sort of home version of it but i don't know like i think it's great that you can that there are that you're that you were making things and selling them in the shop that i could no way make at home i mean that's that is one of the pleasures of desserts but of course yeah the classics have a place as well
0: yeah well I was I'm sorry about that recipe I do remember it I thought you might bring it up today it was <laughs> Did
1: uh, she?
0: <laughs> I, I'm cringing a little bit because I, I do remember sending that to you and it was just pages of um just just technical stuff and I, I just thought um and I remember you edited it um a very professionally to something that would fit into a cookbook um, and I remember thinking wow you know maybe I need to be um, if I if I want to make myself a bit more accessible maybe I need to um, look at <laughs> how I write recipes so I've I have I have changed a little bit I've evolved over time and um, but I think B&P was really great for products that you really couldn't make at home um, and it's a luxury and a one-off and I guess You know, I really want to now start preaching different recipes and I want to branch out into um, savoury food, which I love. And I couldn't really do both. So I've kind of, um, we've put B&P to bed and now I'm embarking on the next chapter of my career and Kath and I are working on a um, a food content website um, where there'll just be awesome recipes that you can absolutely replicate at home without a spray gun or a spray booth.
1: (laughs) Um, yeah, I mean, I learned so much doing that book and I mean, it's really touching to think that my um, edit was, it was a tiny part of your journey to where you are now. But, um, I mean, it is all about learning. I think chefs so often, you know, you learn so much and you want to, you want to display it and why, why wouldn't you? Uh, But then, yeah, there is often this sort of stripping back process that happens, um, as you continue
0: it comes comes with age you know when you're young and you want to you want to be known and you want to go out and do crazy stuff and just you know make a name for yourself then it's easy for you to you know um go on this journey of coming up with really specky stuff um but as you mature as you get a bit older you realize that you know for longevity and and accessibility and for people being being able to um, really enjoy what you do you need to kind of um you know, make it a bit more accessible. So I'm, I'm now, I'm happy that I've had my crazy period, I guess. And I'm not saying I'm slowing down in any way, but um, I'm just going to kind of focus on, um, yeah, helping helping other people become better bakers and better pastry chefs.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Well, l- l- let's talk about that in a sec. But I will just say that. I just want to acknowledge that I had so many great experiences eating your fancy desserts, and I remember like being at functions and events, and there'd be these incredible Birch and Purchase spreads with just just and, and you knew that everything was handmade and mostly by you guys, and that you'd be you'd be driving up and back to Sydney with a boot full of I don't know what, and uh, like just the hours that you guys put in and. I'd say, like for me as a as a keen eater, I so appreciated all the hard work. So yeah, c- congratulations on everything that you achieved.
0: Thank you. That's very kind. We, do, we yeah we did. We we gave it everything, and we were, you know, we were really into it, and we were really proud of what we managed to achieve. We were proud of the fact that we were everything was made on site. So all of those um, events we used to do. We, I remember we did the Grand Prix many years, but um, we would recreate it all in the studio and take it down onto track so 10,000 desserts a day we were doing at one point. Um yeah, I know and it's a tiny it's a tiny kitchen we had a small team so um yeah, I'm glad you I'm glad you appreciate it and I'm glad we managed to spread some sweet joy uh, to Melbourne and other states as well.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So, speaking more about home baking and people who are getting into it deep, uh, let's talk about Great Australian Bake Off. Um, what attracted you to this show?
0: Oh, I, I love Bake Off. I, do, I, I mean, I love cooking shows. I love food media, um, but I, I just love Bake Off because it's it's just um, feel good. It's absolutely no drama. You know, this we're not trying to make people cry or anything. I've been a fan of the show. Um, uh, for the UK version. And then I, I followed the Australian version um, and to just be, have the opportunity to step into Matt and Maggie's shoes, just an absolute dream. So um, it's, it was a no brainer when I was asked, it was, it's absolutely the best job. And I just love seeing people from diverse cultural backgrounds um, show me stuff I haven't seen before, but also love passing on um, some of my knowledge to help making some of Australia's best amateur bakers even better.
1: Yeah, I love that. And, I mean, are there, are there things that you see over and over again, like tips that you find yourself repeating? Like where do people generally get themselves in holes?
0: <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's the jet. Well, I guess it's the fine line when you're on a, a, a competition, when you're doing a competition. You, you really you want to wow, so you want to do as much as possible, but you've got to make sure it fits in the time that they've got so that I'm always saying you know plan what you're going to do and just plan your time and try and try and do as much as you possibly can and make sure you can finish it because otherwise you might as well do something really simple and finish with 20 minutes left and then have all of this mess and all of these part components at the end of a three-hour bake so um, often I see people struggling with their, their timing and their planning because they're they're not used to you know, working in a kitchen to, uh, to deadlines. So that, that, that's always a fun one and it's always something I'm trying to um, get across to them.
1: Yeah. Oh, I love that. And so for someone, perhaps a home cook or even a savory chef who hasn't done much pastry, what, what is like, where would they start? Do you reckon? What are some good things to, to start with, to, to learn with and to enjoy along the way?
0: Yeah. I'm. Um, I mean, I, I was always I was a pastry chef, but I always wanted to know the savoury side because I always wanted to. Um, I, I didn't. I didn't want anyone to know more than me. Type thing, you know. I, I wanted to have a conversation with another chef and know what I was talking about. So I always made made it my uh, mission to kind of know what they know as well. As well as the fact that I'm interested in food all the time. I'm absolutely passionate about food, so I really wanted to know. And I'm cooking all my spare time as well so um, i would i would say if you're a savory chef or you know definitely get into the pastry kitchen and start start knowing some of the basic recipes that you need to know and and just have fun with it and and you know there's so much material available to people these days when i was first starting out there was no i know i sound old now (laughs) no instagram no no virtually no internet um you know i would just be trying to find this mythical cookbook by someone and then um, and then I will just try and find the recipe I was looking for and then invariably the recipe I wanted wasn't in the book, but I would just make everything out of someone's book and uh, that's how I sort of taught myself. But um, there's no right or wrong way of how you want to go about it. You just need to be passionate of what you do and, you know, whether it's bread making or pastry making or you want to make really great cakes – you know go and seek out those ones that are, are known for that particular um, field and then and then just start recreating theirs and then once you know that you can put your own spin on it
1: mm, yeah love that and thinking about desserts in restaurants these days I, i'd love to get your perspective on it because i feel like i feel like pe- people often don't have dessert which i think is a bit sad because it's you know it's such a it's such a great way to finish a meal. And it's also, you know, someone's, it's just such a great series of skills that people are able to, you know, put on a plate. But then at the same time, I think that, you know, a lot of kitchens aren't able to employ a dedicated pastry chef and they can desserts can also feel like a bit of an afterthought. And, you know, I just don't know how many panna cottas I need in my life. Um, so, I mean, what's the balance? You know, what place do you think desserts have on a restaurant menu these days?
0: Yeah, it's tricky. You know, I don't know if I'm qualified to answer this because I I have not worked in a restaurant for um, over 12, 13 years now. So, but you know, my take on it is, desserts are a great end to the meal. Um, it, it, depending on the restaurant that you've got, and you need to factor in economic issues. You know, people are not don't have as a lot of disposable income as they they did. Um, so perhaps incorporating uh, a dessert in in an actual, um, I guess, assembled menu, you know, rather than rather than having dessert menu separate, incorporating it in your menu, that will make sure that more people are ordering that. Um, I I know that lots of restaurants don't have the luxury of a dedicated pastry chef these days, so um, it's it, it's more important than ever for chefs to know both sides of the kitchen because. Um, gone are the days where you've got sort of four pastry chefs hanging around waiting for a dessert order to come in. Everyone's sort of um, mucking in and doing doing both sides now, which I think is really good. But I guess if you want to really want to try and maximize profit in a restaurant, um, I would say that keep your dessert menu fairly small um, because who can afford to have you know 10 different desserts these days and try and maybe try and create some sort of signature, dessert that um that could possibly be changed throughout the season but something you get known for and then that enables um to get round and people really want to come and try this thing and also if if the, if the dessert's on the menu for a while then the kind of brigade will know how to make it and they could all make it competently and then you can yeah like i say you can change that dessert with you know, seasonal flavors or, or native flavors or whatever you want to kind of change it up throughout the year, so it's not the same thing on the menu. That's that's my advice at the moment. But um, uh, I I do it quite a few restaurants, and you know, I'm I'm always looking at the dessert menu first to try and see if I need to save room.
1: Yeah, interesting. Um, what kind of dessert would make you want to save room? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, um, I get asked all the time what
0: my favorite dessert is and i i'm always stumped because i you know i love the classics i love you know i guess lemon tart it always comes to mind and i'm just being very basic here but like twists on that i, I love tangy desserts i love desserts that are not too sweet um i love a good balance um as a pastry chef i mean you know, i mean i really love to see technique from the kitchen you know I love to see different techniques on a on a menu um, and different methods and different ways of cooking things Um, but I you know often I will just choose (laughs) the lemon tart or the tiramisu or the or the chocolate whatever it is because I know I'm going to get that hit so it is it's it's quite a thankless task being a pastry chef sometimes because you know you've got all these Mad ideas, and you want to create something really amazing. But I think a lot of people, especially these days with money, um, they they choose the thing they know they're gonna get, they're gonna get the bang for their buck.
1: Yeah, it's so true, and. Yeah, there was some some sparks going off in my brain when you said the words tiramisu because yeah, it's just always so good or you know it should be it should be
0: yeah it should be it's not always good but I've seen it a lot and I've seen it the reason I said it was because I just keep seeing it everywhere at the moment and. You know, um, it's just a thing. and Like I say, you could do a twist on that. You know, it doesn't actually have to be a coffee tiramisu. If your restaurant wants to get known for something, you could have the classic tiramisu. You could, you know, um, change the flavor up, change the um, sponge up in the middle, change the cream. Um, You know, so there's lots of different ways you can do a take on it and then make it your own and then become known for something. And then um, hopefully people will come back for that.
1: yeah. Love it. Good tips. Um, Daz, so good to catch up with you. Um, All the best with the show. Um, Yeah, can't wait to watch it and, yeah, see what you and Kath do next. Um, I'm sure it's going to be delicious.
0: Yeah, and thanks to you too, Danny. Uh, um, Not just um, for this, but on behalf of the whole hospitality industry because you're just a um, a shining light and just a really great voice and I know that um, hospitality operators all over are just we really do look up to you and for the positivity you promote.
1: Oh, thank you. That's that's super kind. I'm very embarrassed, so we better wrap it up right now. <laughs> <All> <laughs> Thanks right. to see you.
0: <laughs> see ya.
1: This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Valant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. Hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well.